and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch. You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow. I like the laptop bags myself. Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex. That's it. That's our intro. Now, time for the show. This is And we are recording for the Embrys 2022 edition. Hello, and welcome back to the Contrarians, where typically we're right and you're wrong. I think there may be some disagreement on that just between us today. Is we're looking back on the past twelve months of uh, film here on the Contrarians, which is quite the uh, interesting. Um, I don't even. I wouldn't even call it like a trip or like a roadmap it's just it is a quintessential buckshot my friend we went <laughs> yep. all over the place like we even just more went through a wormhole more so than some other years like when i was just going through some of these movies we did it's like they all seem to have a little bit of an ebb and flow like from one to the next but like in the overall like looking at all of them it's like what the hell man the you closest know? we have to some sort of unifying segment is when we did the muppets movies mm-hmm. and but even then, you know, because they're kind of varied. Because uh, then we had the French extravaganza, but that was, <laughs> you know, it's not movies about friends. It's about, it's movies that the French people went and did on their own. So they're pretty diverse. Yeah. And I think we constantly referenced that as we went through it of like, boy, these are weird. Or uh, <laughs> there's really no flow to these. These movies are all over the place. So. <laughs> I wonder how this is going to look at the end of the year. Uh, how many award ceremonies have we done? We didn't do one after our first year, did we? Correct. Uh, so maybe this is the seventh one. There has to be a contrarian super fan that will fact check us on that. <laughs> Call us out. If you're out there, thank you. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Uh, but yeah, we're here today and Julio was nice enough to type up a little rundown of what you can expect from the awards here, our annual event. Um, if this is your first time, you know, you've come along with us recently through maybe the twilight saga or just got picked up along the way uh, this past year and haven't had a chance to see on our website the awards we typically give out um it started all with the incomparable ethan Embry's performance in empire records and that that is our Embry award that is uh, as julio said think of it as like the good award that is what we award to film actors and actresses uh, for both myself and julio we we present individual uh, awards and nominations. This isn't something we work on together because a lot of the time we disagree on this, but Julio, that's been like the, the standard bearer, but uh, some of the other awards have changed or been added in the time we've, we've done this annually. So why don't you give us the rundown of the other awards that we're going to be handing out today? So next to the Embry, uh, the bad award is uh, uh, originally what was the the canny 
named after uh, Scott Kahn uh, in the infamous Raid Rumble. Because Scott Kahn was pretty disinterested in that movie. So quite it, it, quite disinterested. So the Connie became the award that we gave to the actor or actress or the movie that just didn't seem like it was trying hard enough. Uh, it's just a bad award. Uh, eventually, that one evolved after a couple of years into the Rouseys, uh, inspired mm-hmm. by Ronda Rousey's performance in the Entourage movie, where uh, she was playing herself, and it was still not a good performance. <laughs> then that shifted into the Morrissey, after we saw David Morrissey's performance in Basic Instinct 2. Mm-hmm. It's a movie where Sharon Stone is having kind of like a a sex festival throughout Europe, and David Morrison was just completely bored out of his mind. So that that lack of inspiration that we named the the bad award after him for another couple of years, and now Alex, the bad award has reached perhaps its ultimate form. Uh, it's, <laughs> the the final form, the fucking Megatron. Yeah, it's evolved to its climax, and. Actually, this joke, we've been going with it for at least a year because it's from when we did Crash and we did Crash mm-hmm. in um, 2021. So the Morrissey has now evolved into the Huey, honoring Gene Siskel's response to David Cronenberg's Crash. Yes. Uh, it's Huey, Roger. <laughs> it's just Huey. <laughs> if, you, if, if you're not familiar with the sound clip, it's on YouTube. Uh, and it's also on our episode of Crash. You can go back and hear it there. I'm saying that the ideas in the film, said by the performance artist, that somehow this is a connection between life and death, yeah. that's well, a bunch you know, of hooey. The movie doesn't... It's hooey. Uh, you, uh, the movie thinks so too, Gene. The movie uh-huh. is about... Rest easy, King. <laughs> yes. Embry's good, hooey's bad. Uh, from then, there are a couple other things, that, as you said, we started adding as the years went by. Uh, we felt the need to reward the most memorable sex scene on any given year. And so we created the Ruffalo. Uh, just inspired by Mark Ruffalo's powerhouse sexual performance in The Kids Are Alright. Yeah, and I don't know if we've come close to that since, but we we, we keep trying. Yes. it's That's the, the goal that everybody aspires to. You want to have sex like Mark Ruffalo has sex in The Kids Are Alright. Mm-hmm. He has a lot of sex in that movie. Then uh, we, we felt that we were not recognizing Josh Gad enough in the show, and he's kind of being a, a, a constant reference uh, as the years have gone by. So we decided to create the GAD, which is very specifically an award that we give to the movie that has a rotten Rotten Tomatoes score. And yet we think that that is unfair, that this should be, you know, people underestimate that movie because of its rotten score. That might not be our favorite movie that we've covered, you know, over the year. That's mm-hmm. That would be the movie that gets the Embry. But it's definitely a movie that people see it, they see its rotten score, and they walk away like they do with Josh Gatz so often because they just underestimate him as an actor. Conversely, <laughs> the anti-Gad is the complete opposite. It's a movie that is fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, and so people just fall over themselves just to watch it, to praise it. And we disagree. We think that it's actually pretty overrated. Uh, Alex, very uh, perceptively, said, oh yeah, like American Hustle. And it's exactly like American Hustle. <laughs> a movie that's fresh, but doesn't deserve to be fresh. So the GAD, the anti-GAD, there's been years when we haven't had them. Sometimes our uh, lineup doesn't really include any movies that quite fit that criteria, but when when we have them, we call them out. Uh, and then the most recent addition to our, our awards, 
the Lancaster Dodd grant for the development of white people movies. Uh, <laughs> Lancaster Dodd, of course, uh, is the character that Philip Seymour Hoffman plays in The Master, a movie that we both love. Um, mm-hmm. But just because we love it, that doesn't mean that uh, we can deny how white that movie is and how just steeped in white people shit it is. And Accurate. so we we cover our fair share of white people movies in this show. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes negatively, sometimes positively. But whatever the case, I think uh, we, we decided it was time to call out the, their whiteness. The, the whitest movie will get this award, this grant, actually. <laughs> so it can, it can continue the development of white people movies because, you know, white people, they, they need that. Um, Alex and I always come at these from the same direction, but then sometimes we... We we disagree on 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 the merits of certain movies, and sometimes we we apply our own take on what all these uh, definitions uh, mean and how they apply to to the movie we've seen. So it's always a fun conversation, even if this is your first episode of The Contrarians. I think that we'll we'll enough we'll hold your hand enough that this it should be a fun experience. Agreed. And if, yeah, if this is the first one you've tuned in for, let's catch you up on what uh, what is eligible and what you can go back and listen to from the past year. And for returning listeners, if you haven't already and might have missed one of these, we'll go ahead and run down the, the list for you. Eligible in our eighth year of podcasting and eligible for this round of awards, we have Mad Max Fury Road, Doctor Who the Movie, Dead Alive, The Muppet Movie, The Muppets Wizard of Oz, Avatar, The Muppets Take Manhattan, The Happy Time Murders, The Guard, Muppets Most Wanted, Can't Hardly Wait, Pan's Labyrinth, Semi-Pro, Moneyball, The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, Left Behind, again, the Nicolas Cage Christian thriller, not the uh, hit Slipknot song from 2001, 2, 3, can't remember, Knives Out, Private Life, Lost in Space, Scream 2, The Damned United, Almost Heroes, Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion, Drop Dead Fred, Kissing a Fool, He's Just Not That Into You, Last Action Hero, Dazed and Confused, Without Saying Goodbye, Ghosts of Mars, The Lighthouse, Twilight New Moon, Wake in Fright, Psycho, both the 1960 original and the 1998 remake, and Twilight Breaking Dawn, both parts one and two. Again, Julio, we already called this out, but that is a random assortment of cinema. Eclectic. Every time that it looks like we might be heading towards some sort of consistency, it just takes a left turn and goes somewhere else. Yeah, it, it starts building up and then fucking uh, semi-pro rears its ugly head or last action hero jumps in there. All right. Well, uh, I think we're ready. Uh, we'll take care of the all the supporting categories first. Mm-hmm. Alex, flip a coin. Are we doing actors or actresses first? Oh, man. I think we started with actors last year. Let's just keep that going. And all right. actresses, they, ha- they have a hard enough time as it is in the current climate. Let's at least do our part to feature them more in the main event role. <laughs> of course, we're going to feature them with the... With the hooey first. Because I know you like to start uh, negative so we can end positive. Correct. Okay, so we're going to go with the supporting actress hooey first. And the way this works, for those of you who are new, is uh, 
we usually have a couple of runner-ups. Runners-up? Fuck, I hate that word. Yeah, it's a tough one. <laughs> and then we we give our our actual winner. So, Alex, hit me with your hooey runners-up and winner. Uh, I'm still deciding on order. I haven't... <laughs> I wrote these down. Uh, you Let's start off with you for this one so I can get my mind more around this because I'm just like looking at my notes right now and hopefully my mind will clear out a little bit. So Okay. I wasn't hungry on my lunch break at work today, so I color-coded this spreadsheet. My God. <laughs> I know. <laughs> All right. So I'm looking at, uh, at the two pink squares on my spreadsheet. Those are the runners-up, and then there's mm. a, a yellow square. So the first pink square is from a movie we did earlier. Uh, well, no, actually, it was the end of last year. Uh, Avatar. And Alex, you already know what name I'm going to throw at you. An actress we we adore here in The Contrarians, but uh, who was not her best. Sigourney Weaver in Avatar. Just gets a nod. She doesn't get the hooey, but... Uh, we both agreed in the episode. It was like, how did James Cameron do Sigourney so dirty in that movie? It, <laughs> it's, just, it's a combination of screenplay and direction and just, uh, if she's trying, we know that she can be a badass, but there was just something uh, about the way that she delivered the lines that uh, just... Very mechanical and very just like uh, out of place, I think. Yeah, it just didn't fill you with awe the way that Sigourney Weaver usually does. Um she was like next to Sam Worthington, so you would think she would just tower over him. But somehow, maybe maybe he just maybe it's contagious. Whatever Sam Worthington has, it, it just spreads through the rest of the cast. She doesn't get the hooey though. Uh, on a smaller role, but still equally as uh, underwhelming, disheartening. Even Alex, I want to say this actress won last year. She won an Embry, and uh, she finds herself on the other side of the fence. Leah Thompson. For left behind, that's uh, she was actually one of my honorable mentions as well. So that you know, that's a that's a shame because we were so complimentary of her role in um, Howard the Duck that it just where did it all go? Of course, she's in that movie for fucking five minutes, but it's still just like, man, who well, who did you lose a bet to here? Yeah, why? How did you find yourself? I, we know how Nicolas Cage finds himself in in accurate this type of movie. I mean, it's been well documented by the internet, but but yeah, Thompson. Maybe she's a big fan of the books. I don't know, but uh, yeah, it was it was just a bummer to see her there. Go back to Howard. Come on, Howard the Duck too. Make it happen. <laughs> um, the winner though comes to us from uh, the most recent episode we've done as of uh, this recording. Alex, Breaking Dawn Part Two has uh, the biggest cast of all the Twilight movies. Mackenzie Foy is saddled with the role of Renesme, Bella and Edward's really creepy, weird baby. And uh, specifically, my hooey goes to the CGI incarnation of Mackenzie Foy. So it's not really <laughs> Mackenzie Foy's fault, but she was there. It's a computer's you know, she's, fault. Yeah, it's the, the computer's fault, the programmer's fault, the special effects team fault. But, I mean, somebody has to come pick up the hooey, so... It's gonna be Mackenzie Foy, <laughs> and uh, I'm sure she she was still pretty young when this happened, when Breaking Dawn happened to her. So I'm sure she's bounced back, and now she has a normal career where people just let her be herself instead of putting uh, weird CGI on top of her face, um, or putting or CGIing 
versions of her face on top of a baby, whatever they did. But as far as Breaking Dawn goes, and as far as the year of 2022 for the contrarians, I'm giving my hooey to Mackenzie Foy. Sorry. Relax, man. Too weird? Um, no, that's not too weird. It's beautiful. And it's unique. Which certainly fits the situation. It's fair enough. It's a, it's a shame, but I get it. Uh, so we talked about um, Leah Thompson and... Uh, I couldn't. Karis Dorsey is the little girl in Moneyball, and I honestly, <laughs> I think You're my heartless. judgment, yeah, my judgment's so clouded by the um, the ending, and like I'd really it, go back to the episode and listen to how I really dislike the ending of that. But she's not actively bad in it, so I'm I'm not gonna even give her an honorable mention. Who I will give an honorable mention to, though, uh, got to be mean to a kid somewhere, right? Um, <laughs> Lacey Chaubert in Lost in Space. Uh, <laughs> now, we talked about this a little bit in the episode, and I think it still rings true with me. It just really feels like she's kind of acting in a different movie. Uh, and to be fair, it feels like everyone in that movie is acting in a different movie. So it's consistent, but her character's kind of grating in that to the point of like being annoying and she's the one that kind of has the relationship with the what's the little animal in that called oh blurp slurp i was gonna say flop so i'll take <laughs> i'll take that um she was pretty grating is the word i would use to describe that uh, obviously she went on to be really funny in things like um uh mean girls and she was i really like the black uh Christmas remake from 2005 and she's good in that too so she obviously went on to to be I so it didn't you know curse her forever and she's only walking away with an honorable mention here uh who else did I have in here uh Julianne Moore from Psycho Julianne Moore is an actress that I'm obviously really hot and cold with but everyone in that movie fucking sucks so (laughs) I considered it it's it's the only negative mention that the Psycho remake is gonna get from me julie moore and her walkman has but the hooey and it kind of hurts because god love her but uh carrie fisher in drop dead fred that scene where she's like faking that she also has an imaginary friend and is like destroying shit in the hallway i was just it, it was like watching through my fingers like cringeworthy uh we we have a lot to say about that movie in the episode that was one of our patron requests that i i don't think carried us up too much favor with uh some of the people that love that movie uh, and it's not the last time we're going to be talking about it tonight but princess leia <laughs> i wouldn't think so <laughs> god love you rest easy i hope you're you're doing well in the great beyond but uh, you're going to need to send someone from your estate to pick up your hooey. <laughs> and in conclusion, Your Honor, I hope I slept with you to get the job, because if not, who the hell was that guy? Just when she thought that Drop Dead Fred was behind her. <laughs> nope. Here you go. <laughs> um, yeah, I agree. I mean, there are so many worse things and dropped that Fred that I didn't even write down Carrie Fisher <laughs> when it came to that movie. And I think with this award right off the bat, it's important to call out if this is the first Contrarians Awards ceremony you're, you're listening to, you'll 
you'll quickly understand that while we've probably done worse movies and uh, there's been worse performances, it really, a lot of times Julio and I pick the ones that like almost for the negative awards, like upset us like, oh, why did you do this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why we, we provide a little explanation with Correct. every award. It's not like at the Oscars, they don't really explain to you why they're giving the Oscar to, I don't know, Clint Eastwood or whatever. <laughs> they've they've <laughs> got a few years of uh, precedent to, to back them yeah. up there. Yeah. So it's a little more straightforward, I think. <laughs> so we like you best. That's it. Um, all right. Well, now let's let's go to the other side then. Uh, we're going to do Supporting Actress Embry, the positive award. <laughs> do you want me to take the lead on this one again or or – do you have this one more settled? Uh, no, go ahead and take the lead on this. That way we can like bounce back. I'll start off on the, the next one. All right. I like it. I like it. Uh, all right. Supporting actress Embry. Once again, I have uh, two pinks and one yellow. First off, and this this is not a surprise, uh, this might be on your uh, list of uh, honorable mentions or maybe even the winner because uh, this is someone we love and we loved her in this movie. Tina Fey in Muppets Most Wanted. Nice. Uh, She's really funny. She has a great song. She has a a funny and sexy accent. And, she is uh, like a seriously underrated hottie. Like I, I don't yep. think she gets enough credit for like she's obviously incredibly talented. That's not all she offers, but God, she's hot. There was just something extra with this part. <laughs> I think it was you said it was the fact that she was just so commanding in that yeah. prison in the gulag. Um so she she's she's good. She's getting us started uh the right track. Uh, next, and this one, I'm not going to lie, I'm a little biased. As much as I trash the movie, I got to get a kick of giving at least a mention to a Peruvian actress. So from without saying goodbye, perhaps the only good thing in that movie is uh, Wendy Ramos as Aunt Litchie. She's the, the comic relief, but she's really going for it. She has to know because she's being, she's, She's an actress that's been around for a while, so she has to know that this movie isn't good. But she doesn't care. She's there and she's doing her best. And uh, probably next to the the just the vistas, uh, she's the most memorable part of the movie. So uh, she gets an honorable mention. But then the winner, and this surprised me, Alex. But I had to be honest with myself and be like, okay, who am I really rooting for? Who surprised me? Who who made me happy? Uh, in a way, and this goes beyond uh, her character's ethics or principles or whatever. But uh, I'm gonna give it to uh, Nikki Reed in uh, Twilight New Moon and Twilight Breaking Bad. She played uh, Rosalie, uh, who yeah. became my favorite Colin. Even though um, when it comes to abortion, we were on the opposite sides of the spectrum. <laughs> She uh, she's all about keeping Bella's baby alive, uh, and I'm like, uh, no, you should probably save the mom first. It's a very controversial, thorny, uh, thorny issue that uh, the movie itself uh, fumbled with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you cannot deny that Nikki Reed was performing the hell out of that character. I mean, I don't know what her beliefs are in real life, but she was playing a character that was 100% committed to keeping that baby alive, and... Uh, I bought it, and that combined with uh, everything else that we learned from her backstory and just how she plays it, I think that she took a character that was actually probably the least likable Colin at the beginning of this saga and turned her into one of the more 
even if it's not the more likable Colin by the end, she's mm-hmm. definitely one of the strongest characters. So um, I definitely give her props for that. So uh, Nikki Reed gets the first embryo of the night. Say the word, Alice. Baby. It's just a little baby. All right. So for my embryos in the best supporting actress category, uh, a few honorable mentions. Uh, number one, Janine Garofalo and Romy Michelle. Uh, we were very complimentary of that movie, and she's got some pretty good comedic delivery, some good lines in that. Uh, you know, it's worth swallowing a little bit of my pride and saying in the spirit of the award, Zoe Saldana and Avatar deserves a little bit of recognition. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm still never going to get on the train of like, oh, she you know, should have been nominated for an Oscar or, Oh, this is what all acting should be. Anything like that. But in the spirit of the award, she did the most with what she was given. You know what I mean? She made it work in a way that Sigourney Weaver didn't. <laughs> Factual. Uh, we have Anna Kendrick and twilight. Every time she was in one of the twilight movies, that was like the thing I focused on and talking about. And was like, this was good. More of this, please. Where is she? She's gone. <laughs> when she's not on screen, the character should be asking, where's Anna Kendrick? What can <laughs> Anna Kendrick be doing? Uh, but my Embry for Best Supporting Actress, and I don't think this is terribly too shocking if anyone really listened in the episode, goes to Jennifer Conley and He's Just Not That Into You, uh, a performance yes. that that movie does in no way deserve. And... Um, Really, not one of the more memorable movies, but one of the more memorable scenes we've done because we did like we were able to like pinpoint exactly how and why it's so powerful. That scene in Home Depot or Lowe's, mm-hmm. wherever the fuck they are, with Bradley Cooper. And again, she's such a great actress. And that movie, you know, Jennifer Goodwin was also in, in my short list just because her character is like cringe, but in a way of like this is a good performance. And uh, that movie, it seems like it would be so hard to really stand out because it's an ensemble cast and, you know, you're on screen for fucking four or five minutes at a time. But Jennifer Conley finds a way to take a movie like that and be really memorable in it. So I really appreciate that. That movie is I was um, a bit vindicated when we watched it. I was like, yeah, see, I remember this not being like awful. And I remember there being some good qualities to it. And amongst those qualities, she is uh, at the top of the list. So, Miss Conley, come on down. Pick up your award. It's been a long time coming. It is. <laughs> and that's a fact. Well, what is the point? I just... No, I don't like the way it's pretending to be wood. Well, if you're not wood, don't try and look like wood. I don't think that it's pretending. This is a lie, Ben. Just be upfront and tell people what you really are. <laughs> At the after party, Alex, because I didn't do it here at the official ceremony, but the after party, I'll uh, I'll walk up to uh, uh, Marisa Rubisi, uh, Giovanni's sister. Yes, uh, which we saw in Days and Confused, and I'll tell her, "Hey, you were my shortlist." <laughs> I'm sorry. It was it was a tough year. And she'll tell you, I, I haven't seen those movies. I don't know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> then I'll I'll go and cry about it on the next episode we record. <laughs> All right. Well, that takes care of supporting actress. Uh, let's move on to supporting actor. Once again, we'll start with the negative. 
So, Alex, this is your turn to lead the way. Uh, supporting actor Huey. Who oh, you got? Man. I don't feel good about this. I don't like being mean to kids. And sometimes <laughs> you got to do it, but, you know. Uh, all right. So, because I consider Jason Lee the lead actor in it, uh, one of my honorable mentions is David Schwimmer in Kissing a Fool. Uh, <laughs> he was we, trying. <laughs> well, that's the point. It 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 is so transparent. And I guess that's the thing of like, he's not necessarily bad, but you watch that movie and you're just like, what the fuck? He's just <laughs> trying so hard to separate himself, which he eventually did. We discussed his directorial career as well, which he made a very conscious and good effort at that to separate himself from, you know, fucking Ross Geller. That movie wasn't it, though. Um, we have Jerry O'Connell in Scream 2. <laughs> We, I don't think we spent enough time talking about how awful the scene is in that where he sings to Sydney. I mean, that is, and that still, as awful as it is, it's probably the most interesting thing his character does, the entire movie. I was trying to figure out a way to give an honorable mention to Sasha Jensen for being too old to play a high school student in a movie <laughs> filled with people that look too old to play high school students, but uh, I couldn't piece it together. But in the end, the hooey for supporting actor in a movie that I really enjoyed and we'll be talking about again uh, during the ceremony, uh, Last Action Hero, the role of Danny played by Austin O'Brien uh, in that episode, you know, we tried not to be too berating of this kid and especially myself because I really fucking like that movie. Yeah, but, if I remember correctly, I I started real talk by saying, uh, look, I don't like the kid. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I tried to be like, yeah, but this this part of it works and whatnot. But it's an example of like, I think it was just the tone of the movie. You needed the right kid in there because, I mean, honest to God, that's a tone that we talk about this. That's not a movie for kids. And it was kind of marketed as such. The tone of that movie is not something that kids are really going to understand. And even more so, it's kind of hard to think of how a child actor would be able to interpret the like really sarcastic you know satirical tone of that and be able to turn that into a performance and austin o'brien and that i don't really think was the i can't tell you who the right pick was but i know he wasn't uh, as he's certainly um a weak part of the movie so sorry austin it's it's me <laughs> the one handing you the uh the the hooey like i didn't know that they killed second cousin big mistake <laughs> Jack Slater 4 It's it's ironic the the person that somewhat defended him in the main episode ended up backstabbing him whereas I the person who attacked him the most in the episode uh just hands him a a nomination but not the award <laughs> I have it in pink I'm like yeah that kid that was not good I, I have a fear of where this is going and it's going to upset me, but I'm not going to be too surprised. I don't think so. No. Okay. <laughs> no, I think you're going to be okay with where my hooey lands. Uh, I, I don't even have uh, Timothy Oliphant as my, uh, as an honorable mention, but Mickey? I have him in my short film. Yeah. For Scream 2. Uh, you know, just bringing it up because you brought up O'Connell and I think O'Connell sucks, but uh, <laughs> Oliphant sucks more because he derails so badly at the end. Uh, he's he's fine. He's actually really good during the movie, and then he becomes a cartoon at the end. So that that kind of hurts. But yeah. uh, my other honorable mention is actually uh, Nicholas Holt in Mad Max Fury Road, who is supposed to be the heart of the movie, 
And I just feel nothing when his character dies. And that's probably the biggest problem at the heart of uh, <laughs> the, uh, I guess, indifference I feel towards Mad Max Fury Road. I feel nothing to- when Nicholas Holt does anything. <laughs> <laughs> Not even in the X-Men movies? No. Wow. Not even when he's blue. But anyway... Um, he looks cool. They work on, you know, the shots are cool, but the, there's something, I, I think it's just, it's too removed from what I know for me to care. And, I, you know, we talked about this in, the, in our epic Mad Max Fury Road uh, episode. Uh, if you want to hear me just gone at length, not just me, but Alex as well, <laughs> about uh, Nicholas Holt's shortcomings, while uh, the guys from Franchise Killers just just look at us in disgust, uh, well, you can listen to that episode. <laughs> but anyway, the hooey, Alex, it just uh, it goes to somebody that uh, it's, it's actually kind of an obvious pick. And uh, I lied earlier when I said that, that I was done uh, with negativity about the uh, Psycho remake because this hooey goes to <laughs> William H. Macy. who Oh, man. Yeah, he's bad. Just what is he doing? <laughs> We talked about it on the episode. We couldn't figure it out. Uh, Sorry, your wife's hysterical. <laughs> yes. The hat, the demeanor, and then kind of like the balls of after everything was done saying like, look, I like my performance, but the movie sucks. <laughs> yeah. I think I wish he at least had gone like, I don't even like my performance. Then I would respect it a little more. But he criticizes the movie. Uh, I mean, obviously, he didn't uh, dislike it enough to walk away from it (laughs) he was in it he took the paycheck and then he was like you know what the movie sucks but i'm good so i like william h macy as an actor but he is uh it's not even that he's miscast in this movie it's just that he it's it's like he didn't get it (laughs) he didn't understand what was happening in the uh, he thought it was a remake of psycho that was based in 1960 like he he showed up in that wardrobe and was like well fuck it we're all here already (laughs) he refused to hear otherwise <laughs> it's like no i am right everybody else is wrong don't show me that walkman so william h macy uh, someday you'll get an embry but today you get a hooey let's all talk about marion shall we who are you friend my name's arbogast friend i'm a private investigator all right well the negatives out of the way are we moving to the the embrys for the the lads Yes, and Alex, this is where our first patron contribution comes in. Hell yeah. Our patrons, there was an open call, as as we did last year, for them to uh, pick one category and submit a nomination. Just tell us who they would give an award to. So here, for the supporting actor, Embry, we have Jamie, who sent us the following message. He said, I would like the best supporting actor, Embry, to go to the legendary Donald Pleasance in Wake and Fright. With absolute commitment to his role, he's absolutely outstanding as the grimy, sweaty, and drunken Doc Titan. I think that this will be high up on Alex's list, too. Is Jamie right, Alex? I know you're a Donald Pleasance fan, just on the strength of Halloween alone. But honestly, Wake and Fright will come up as when we get to the Embry for film. I really had no choice but to just go with the the best movies that we had. 
in terms of the supporting actor category, though, it was embarrassment of riches. Yes, we had a lot, and I tried to aim for the spirit of the award for someone who, even if the what was surrounding them wasn't good, tried to make the most of it. And Donald Pleasance is fucking awesome in Wake and Fright, but that whole movie is like a fantastic piece of filmmaking. And I feel like I've talked about Halloween too much, and he's like. <laughs> <laughs> you know an ever-present force with that so uh he was in my list of honorable mentions that got whittled down i'm down to two honorable mentions and then the, the winner right now yeah i think that this is the third or fourth year in a row that the supporting actor embry is the most populated uh, category when you have to cut philip seymour hoffman you know that uh, there's some good <laughs> shit going on so who made the cut alex who do you have well, Julio, both of my honorable mentions come from the Muppethon. Um, ah. Like you said, we did a lot of good shit, but I couldn't deny the performances of starting with a movie that is kind of clunky and unfortunately will come back up in, in the Huey category. But we're going to go to the Muppets Wizard of Oz, and he's only got one scene in the movie, but like Christopher <laughs> Walken in Pulp Fiction, he leaves you he's all that you talk about when the movie's over. And that is Quentin Tarantino's role in the Muppets wizard of Oz. You want to talk about someone who got the assignment and on top of that knew that this was his moment to shine as we talked about on the episode. And he, he loves the Muppets so much. So this was like, this was a big fucking deal for him. He's on, there's a great interview with him on Conan talking about like how cool and special it was and how, you know, he got to, see all his favorite ones. And even though like Rolf wasn't going to be in any of the scenes he was shooting that day, he asked if they could take him out and he could talk to Rolf and that type of thing. And <laughs> Tarantino, his energy is just so infectious in that scene. And I, I love it. So Quentin, you get an honorable mention. And then we I go was forward. counting on you, uh, bringing up Tarantino. So I wouldn't have to, well, we go a few years into the future with the, the Muppets franchise and we go to Muppets most wanted. And my second runner up is Ty Burrell for his role nice. in that because god damn he is so funny every scene he's in just gives it his all so many funny lines uh so like his mannerisms are so good the physical comedy is there he seems like a the proverbial kid in a candy store and that you know what i mean you can tell when someone's having fun doing what they're doing on screen and he's having a fucking blast uh, but the embry for best supporting actor again I'm a big fan of the movie, but this how dare this guy give this performance to this type of movie? The nerve of Woody Harrelson to give yes. the performance that he gave in Semi-Pro is just it's borderline infuriating. Uh, <laughs> so Woody Harrelson as uh, Ed Monix, the like despair and the down in his luck nature of his character, but then kind of winning back his confidence and also becoming a team leader and also the physical shape he got into for a fucking Will Ferrell comedy and the chemistry he has with, um, um, what's her name? Mara Tierney. Mara Tierney. There we go. It's just everything about him in that movie works. And even like the haircut, the wardrobe, I mean, that's the whole movie, but he just, he fits in perfectly. And, as we talked about in the episode for that takes what would be a good comedy and kind of pushes it into the line of like, no, this is kind of a good, you know, fun, light sports movie. So Woody Harrelson, I'm sure it won't be your last Embry, but uh, come on down and pick it up. You know, you said you wanted to leave basketball at the top of your game. When are you going to quit? I'm at the top of my game. I'm very close to the top. 
I just got traded for a fucking washing machine. What am I talking about? Good night, Ed. Thanks for the pep talk. He does what uh, what Nicholas Holt couldn't do. He gives the movie its heart. There you go. You care. <laughs> you don't care in Mad Max, but <laughs> you care in Semi-Pro against all odds. Uh, that's why I have him as, as one of my honorable mentions as well. Nice. And I had Ty Burrell and Tarantino on my short list. I mean, yeah, there's, I have almost like one person for every movie we did. That's how stacked the odds are when it comes to, uh, I guess, supporting roles for character actors. <laughs> Here, take your pick. Anytime you do um, Muppets movies also, you're just going to be littered with supporting roles. Yeah, I, I did toy with the idea of Mel Brooks uh, in the first Muppet movie because it's uh, also great. But yeah, yeah it's, it's another strong year. I, I had to like whittle down to two. So one of them is Woody Harrelson. Uh, and the other one is Charles Dance in Last Action Hero. Who nice. was just, it was a performance I'd heard about. Because the first time I watched the movie, you know, I didn't know who Charles Dance was. But then watching it again after having seen his performance in Game of Thrones, it was just, I could appreciate so much more everything he was doing and how funny he is in Last Action Hero. So he gets a nod. But the Embry, and once again, man, am I going to be the only contrarian here giving awards to the Twilight saga? Because <laughs> my Embry for Best Supporting Actor goes to Billy Burke. Billy Burke, all right. For his, his combined body of work across the Twilight movies. I mean, we'll just have New Moon and Breaking Dawn here as eligible, and that's fine, because he does plenty of good shit there. Uh, in New Moon, he has that moment where he's he has a heart-to-heart with Bella and tells her, that sometimes you have to learn to uh, love what's good for you. And that's a that's a moment that's so much stronger than anything else that's happening in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then he gets to be funny in, in Breaking Dawn, whether he's just giving the toast at the, at the wedding or when he's reacting to Jacob stripping uh, off his clothes and turning into a wolf before his eyes. I mean, it's yeah. the best. He's my favorite character in, in the entire saga. And... I mean, it's not even close. <laughs> he just, uh, he doesn't even have that much screen time. It's just every time he shows up, he's like Anna Kendrick. You know, he shows up and you're like, he's great. Can, can we see him more? So Billy Burke, congratulations. You get an Embry. You you may be trying to forget Twilight by now. Probably not because those residuals might be pretty good. But uh, but now on top of everything, uh, the Twilight saga has earned you an Embry. Congratulations. Edward will be a good husband. I know this because... I'm a cop. I know things. Like how to hunt somebody to the ends of the earth. All right. So that takes care of all the supporting actors and actresses. Alex, let's get things spicy. Let's uh, let's move on to uh, the award for most memorable sex scene, the Ruffalo. And once again, we have a contribution from one of our lovely patrons. This time it's uh, Paul Myers from the Film Busters podcast. Um, just hear this. <laughs> <laughs> Paul says, I pop hard for a decomposing priest and nurse knocking boots over a pus-filled custard dinner table. God mm-hmm. bless. I award the Ruffalo to Brain Dead slash Dead Alive, of course. Just to sass you for sleeping on this banger. Um, 
Well, <laughs> that, that was one of Paul's demands. We we covered Dead Alive slash Braindead on the show because he picked it. And uh, neither of us was as enthusiastic about it as, as he was. I'm gonna be honest, I I had blocked uh, out of my mind the the sex scene in that movie. <laughs> I had forgotten about it until I heard, I read his message. Is mm-hmm. uh, did Dead Alive make your shortlist for the Ruffalo? No, we don't have anything too explicit this year. Uh, anything too saucy, and that certainly didn't make my shortlist of what we do have. So what what made your shortlist? I mean, it's no looking down, you know. Interstate 35 on Mark Ruffalo's ass, but it, <laughs> Breaking Dawn Part 1 does have, you know, Bella and Edward going at it at the first time. Uh, and all that buildup. It's, yeah, they fucking break the bed. Uh, and then, I mean, Wake and Fright deserves props. I mean, you don't see it, but there's a very <laughs> intensely implied sex scene that changes the entire dynamic of the film. And you get to see lust in Donald Pleasance's eyes, which isn't, you know, as a lifelong Halloween fan, that wasn't a look that I'd ever seen before. He <laughs> just wakes up in a dress the next day. Um, the most memorable scene, and it's a PG-13 movie, so we're not seeing anything too detailed or graphic. But again, I got to bring up, he's just not that into you. That's one of the more memorable, like, sex scenes I've seen in a movie, uh, just because it's so like, oh, my God, no, watching it. <laughs> You're going to give B-Coop an award? Who gets the award in this one? Uh, that's We have Scarlett Johansson and Jennifer Connelly come and accept it together. And then like he's in the audience and they say something like glib about him. And you know just <laughs> and then the camera cuts to him and he's got that, oh, shucks look on his face. <laughs> Is Lady Gaga sitting next to him? <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're holding hands. and No, that's what happens. They say something really sarcastic about him and it cuts and he's just making out with Lady Gaga. <laughs> Look, um, I'm really trying here. Do you want to save our marriage? That scene is one of those things in a movie they always talk about of like, you get really engrossed in what you're watching because you're like, oh no, I know what those characters don't know. And it makes that scene just so difficult to watch. So as opposed to Ruffalo and Julianne Moore going to town or, uh, you know, sweaty, greasy Robert De Niro just nailing Carla Gugino. I'm going a little bit different direction. The most memorable sex scene of the year comes from He's Just Not That Into You. Uh, all those people that haven't watched Righteous Kill, they're like, what the fuck? De Niro and Carla Gugino? <laughs> uh, watch Ry- uh, Righteous Kill, or at least YouTube that scene, because it's uh, memorable. Uh, well, Alex, on my end, I-, I went the complete opposite way. I just... Uh, now I'm a little embarrassed because I went with the most explicit stuff we had this year. <laughs> and uh, Fair. it didn't always include two people. Sometimes it was just uh, one person just having fun by themselves, such as Vince Vaughn in the Psycho remake. Oh, God. The, the noise. <laughs> <laughs> the big question, did he even finish? It, it sparked conversation. <laughs> so psychotic. Just giving a quick flaccid tug and then just going about your business. It's like, oh, never mind. I have to go kill her. <laughs> um, so that's that's a runner-up. Another runner-up uh, on the same category of just, just doing it on your own. Uh, Robert Pattinson in The Lighthouse. Now we know yeah. that he finishes. That Big is, <laughs> There's no question about that. He lets us know. There's a primal scream that escapes him when he's done. 
didn't seem like he was having too much uh, fun, but but the scene is definitely memorable. But as far as the actual Ruffalo, it goes to a movie that I definitely appreciated more than you did. And this scene is one of the reasons why. And that is the Happy Time Murders. Oh, God. I knew you were going to fucking do that. <laughs> Phil Phillips having sex with the, the femme fatale Muppet. And, uh, uh, I mean, you're saying that there wasn't much... Uh, in the way of graphic stuff this year in the Katarians lineup, but this is as graphic as it can get with puppets. He gets silly string all over his office. Some of it falls on uh, Joel McHale's shoulder when he walks in later. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Listen, you have to be there, or at the very least, you have to watch it. Clean up on aisle Phil. Hope your meeting is as satisfying as mine was. Listeners, just let us know. Are you are you with me or with Alex when it comes to this scene? Because I think it's great. And I think it, it, it really ties the movie together. <laughs> so my ruffle goes to Phil Phillips and uh, I don't remember the name of the puppet that is uh, behind everything. But uh, anyway, good stuff. Don't show it to your kids, though. Definitely do not. <laughs> now, uh, Alex, we're going to, before we go on our commercial break, it's time to hit the most popular category with our patrons, apparently, <laughs> in only its second year. The Lancaster Dot Grant for the Development of White People Movies <laughs> has received uh, four nominations from four different people. That's awesome. We're going to start with Katie and OT from the For Your Reference podcast, who say, for the second year in a row, the For Your Reference podcast is submitting another Jimmy Cameron masterpiece, Avatar, as their entry for the Lancaster Dot Grant for the development of white people movies. We have utilized the very technology in the film to truly understand the experiences of white people and can categorically <laughs> declare there is nothing whiter than Jake Sully at the end of the film choosing to live as a native and wistfully shaking his head at the humans, <laughs> remarking how... Those aliens will never understand. <laughs> oh, that's uh, incredible. Cameron is a pretty white filmmaker, even when he's his characters are blue. Uh, so I understand that one. Next, Jason Nerdrovert says, oh, yeah. For the Lancaster Dot Grant Award, it has to be left behind, right? Religion, rapture, and playing into, off of fears. That's some prime white folk shit. This is true. It's true. I mean... Nicholas Cage, for all his uh, mannerisms and, and quirks and idiosyncrasies, I mean, at the end, he's kind of a, he's just like a white people icon. <laughs> I don't think that, I don't think that other uh, ethnicities care as much about Nicholas Cage as white people do. So it makes sense that he would just headline uh, a white people religious movie. And then the next two are actually audio clips. So uh, we're going to start with Ben from Film Busters. It's another year, another award ceremony, another Embrys. You guys have been doing fine, fine hosting duties so far, but it's time for me to throw in my nomination for the Lancaster Dodd Grant for the development of white people <laughs> movies. And what could be more white people this year than the abomination that was can't hardly Wait, one of the few films that I hadn't seen that I chose to watch so that I could listen to your episode. And I can't think of a bigger bunch of insufferable white people in uh, my entire cinematic uh, year. 
so far. This was a manic mess of American high school cliches, kids that I would cross the street to avoid, and people that I generally despise. However, Clarissa is in there, but they did her dirty, and they cannot be forgiven for it. Alex, I could just imagine Ben standing in a corner, you know, at this party, the Can't Hardly Wait party, just judging every single person. <laughs> just sipping his beer in the corner, just yeah. really discontent. Shaking his head. He's like, how did I end up here? Uh, I mean, fair points. Uh, there are a couple of uh, characters of color in that movie, but none of them really... Uh, affect the plot much bullcorn <laughs> it's the closest we get <laughs> you set me up for that perfectly well done yep uh, and we got one more for you can't uh, you can't say that and then like in the same year we did dazed and confused i would argue dazed and confused is way more of a white people shit movie than can't hardly wait it, it's on my short list <laughs> there you go <laughs> um all right, one more from John Keating, who we've heard before. Speaking of uh, the Happy Bolo. Time Murders, here, here we go. He has one more nominee. Hello, fellow contrarians. This is John Keating, and my vote for the Lancaster Dodd grant for the development of white people is Kissing a Fool. You can't get any whiter than David Schwimmer in a movie, and also using Jason Lee not as the lovable, <laughs> sarcastic, wise-ass that he usually plays, but as a neurotic novelist. Uh, you get you get David Schwimmer booking his own uh, relationship breakup. This is prime white people shit and needs to be seen just to see how white a movie could be. I am just, I'm overjoyed that he's watched Kissing a Fool. Oh, yeah. Bolo's like, he's one of those things I'll tweet just about like a random ass movie that I don't think anyone in my timeline would possibly have ever seen before. And he'll be the first one to respond to it. Shout out, John. Hopefully we'll cross paths again. One of these days. Uh, I do love he used the phrase booking in there too. God bless. I love that. He's just saying the mere presence of David Schwimmer in a movie automatically makes it white people. shit. <laughs> Where's the lie? Where is the lie? <laughs> um, all right. Well, Alex, I'll go first. Once again, Two honorable mentions, two runners-up, one, one grand recipient. Uh, first runner-up, loved the movie, had a really good time talking about it. But at least for someone like me, who has very little imp- interest in sports, uh, Moneyball is pretty white. Uh, it achieves peak whiteness, in my opinion, at the very end, when Brad Pitt turns down a boatload of money <laughs> just so he can stick around with a shitty baseball team that he just can't get to win. Sorry, can't. I don't even. It's not even the singing by the daughter at the end. It's just the the behavior. That's what makes it super white. The second runner-up, again, this is just me, uh, uh, you know, having a bias, but without saying goodbye, is a movie set in Peru, and yet it's so white. (laughs) (laughs) It just it has a Peruvian background, but really it's just it, it's about tourists in Peru. Even the, the Peruvian character comes across as a tourist in her own country. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I somebody has to call it out. It's not going to be you, so it has to be me, and I'm happy to do it. Uh, but ultimately, uh, I think it's 
pretty white behavior to just, uh, kind of like in the spirit of Avatar, I guess, to just go across unknown lands, claiming them as your own, racing to be the one that discovers the next mountain or whatever. So uh, Almost Heroes gets my Lancaster Dot Grant. Just Chris Farley and Matthew Perry, a couple of white dudes, disrupting nature as they race against uh, Lewis and Clark for no real reason. It's not a movie that I enjoyed to begin with, but on top of that, it's uh, I think it's pretty white and not in a, in a good way. When the history books are written, Lewis and Clark will be but a footnote to a footnote. And I, sir, will be the note. So those are mine, Alex. Uh, who gets the grant on your end? How on earth did no one mention Twilight? That's the whitest <laughs> shit in the world, dude. <laughs> did we have a couple of black vampires there? Yeah, but it's still the idea of that. First of all, the woman who wrote it, her name is Stephanie Meyer. That's the whitest. That's like John Smith levels of white right there. (laughs) But elsewhere, it's about like a girl who's torn between a vampire and a werewolf and doesn't know which life she wants to get. All of that is just white people shit. I'm not saying there aren't, you know, people from other walks of life that don't enjoy it, but the, the premise of it is some extreme white stuff going down um wake and fright is a pretty fucking white movie i'm it would, <laughs> it would lead you to believe that it's just like that's white dudes just fucking get drunk and roughhouse in the deserts of australia that's all it that goes down um private life no one mentioned that that is like white people the movie i thought about it <laughs> where do they live do they live in new york or chicago they live in new york city right new york yeah Definitely and they're all like bummed because their rent's going up. And <laughs> God, that fucking movie. And again, How do they I, make a living? Exactly. Right? He's like a failed author. And, you know, they're having to spend all this money on, uh, what is it, the IVF for her to get pregnant. And Catherine Hahn, Paul Giamatti. I mean, Molly Shannon's in it. We have a, a good cast here. And there's some good performances. They're good white people. <laughs> I guess they're going to have their niece like carry their baby is their plan which again white people shit right there man (laughs) uh but my lancaster dodd grant for the advancement of white people movies there ain't nothing whiter than the damned united (laughs) i walked away from that movie i gave that movie four stars on letterbox i think i gave it a b plus or an a minus in my review here on the the podcast um it is far and away tom hooper's best film (laughs) but it's a movie about football or excuse me soccer uh for you americans out there starring michael sheen and it's directed by tom hooper (laughs) come on man is there anybody that's not white in that movie i'm trying to think not that's coming to mind because like stephen graham's the main player right isn't that the guy's name yes yeah i mean even moneyball had like a Justice. David Justice. David Justice, yeah. Hey, there you go. Shoot sports star. You know their name. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. It was all just... It's a good movie. Timothy Spall rocking the shit in that, but that is some prime white people shit right there. You came to Derby County, uh-huh. third round of the FA Cup, and you refused to shake my hand. Never. No, my, my matter of principle, I always shake the other manager's hand. No, you shook Peter Taylor's hand. And my trainer, Jimmy Gordon. I probably didn't see you. No, you saw me, Don, but consider me beneath you. Well, Tom Hooper gets a grant so he can make more white people shit. (laughs) I mean, Tom Hooper's movies to begin with are all... (laughs) 
he is the leading purveyor of white people shit. He needs to make a movie with David Schwimmer. Ooh, brother. <laughs> just <laughs> just break all the all the barometers when it comes to whiteness. Good Lord. Lay Miz, King Speech, Danish Girl, Cats. <laughs> and just his face. Tom Hooper's like... <laughs> He's like you look at him and he looks like someone that just says, ah, geez, with complete sincerity. <laughs> he eats fucking cornflakes in the morning with no milk. That's, that's what we're dealing with here. <laughs> All right. So that takes us to uh, uh, the end of the first part of the ceremony. Uh, let's go for a quick break and we'll be back after we've uh, plugged our patron and all the cool stuff in it. Just enjoy the show. You're such a loser, Dad. You're such a loser, Dad. You're such a loser, Dad. Just enjoy the show. You're such a loser, Dad. You're such a loser, Dad. You're such a loser, Dad. Just enjoy the show. Hey, listeners. Hopefully you're enjoying the ceremony. Uh, This is the moment where we tell our patrons what they can expect on our patron feed, and we let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. It is the uh, Embry's version of PP, the patron pitch. There's going to be a very abbreviated version of the pitch. Three things. One, QVRs for this month are The Art of Self-Defense from Alex. He's made a quick video review about that. And for me, it's Mass. I don't know what that is, but uh, Jordan Mann's demanded it so i'm gonna uh, watch it and do a quick video review of it it might already be there by the time you listen to this next we watched halloween ends we talked about halloween ends we argued about halloween ends and it's right there on your patron feed for patrons of all tiers it's it's kind of a i was gonna say a spiritual sequel to our halloween kills episode but no it's just like a straight up sequel yeah nothing spiritual about it it's a direct continuation Yes, uh, a direct conclusion, even, if everything is to be believed. I think it's well worth your time, no matter which side of the fence you, you fall on, whether you liked Halloween ends or not. Whether you're right or wrong, pretty much. Yes. Uh, Alex and I kind of cover all the, all the positions there. Uh, so check it out. And then... If you haven't had enough award giving after this episode, well, the patron feed is going to feature the Patronis, just like last year. We're going to hand a very different type of awards to the movies that we covered on our patron channel and our patron channel only. The way it works is Alex and I just come up with made-up awards. Uh, So no movie gets the same award and no award is the same. It was a lot of fun last year. I'm assuming it's going to be a lot of fun this year. That's what we're recording after this. So... Check out our patron if you're not a patron yet. Patreon.com slash Prime. Check the tiers. See how much you would like to contribute if you want to contribute. And uh, join the Contrarian Supplements. $1, $3, $5, and $10. You can select your respective tier, as you can imagine. The more De Niro gets you, the more content. But <laughs> just throw us a buck. You'll have access to what we're talking about, the Patronis, the Halloween Ends episode, our Roxena mega series. It's basically the ground floor. You get to look around and see what you like. So go head on over to our patron, throw us a buck, look around, uh, tell us what you want more of. Uh, to all of our current patrons, we love you all so much, so dear. It's been really fun to hear from some of y'all doing this. And as I like to say, we're always taking applications for new patrons. So head on over, 
Join the cause. Help us create more content for you. Help us help you. Help me help you. <laughs> and now let's uh, put our tuxes back on and head back to the the main event on the docket. Actress, lead actress. Once again, we start with the hooey, and then we move on to the embry. Alex, I think it's my turn to go first. So uh, you hinted at this, and uh, I mean, there, you could have only been talking about this person. From the Muppets Wizard of Oz, Ashanti is my first runner-up. Yes. Because uh, uh, we watch a lot of Muppet movies. You know, I mean, actually, we watch all of them. And I think she was the one main actor, actress, that didn't seem comfortable performing with Muppets. Everybody else seemed yeah. to be having a great time across all movies. And Ashanti, just there was something unbelievable, like something that didn't seem sincere when she was interacting with, with a dream team of Muppets. She just really seemed like out of her depth. I, I don't know what she thought would entail the the you know to work in a Muppet movie, but this was not what she expected. <laughs> she thought it was gonna be CGI, and it turned out that it was all practical. It's one of those weird things, and I'd say this having you know we watched all those Muppet movies. There is something too of like, and I've heard people talk about this. And if you watch any making of the Muppets or any behind the scenes things, you will see this. You have to like when you're shooting scenes with them. You have to walk differently. Your cadence of walking has to be different. And like the your body motions, because they move differently, you have to like sync with them to make it seem like you guys are moving in unison. And that was one of those things of like she constantly to me looked like she was just trying to like remember a hundred things at once, which it's gotta be hard. I'm not saying I could do it any better, but it's just it was just kind of a strange performance and it was kind of like that movie's kind of peaks and valleys, but mm-hmm. she kind of stands out in a bad way, and I I don't want to put that all on her. I think it was uh, too much too soon. She wasn't cut out for it, what have you. It just, but uh, yes, I I would agree with you. Yeah, in the end, I think it's just that not everybody can interact with Muppets. It's just some people can do it, some people can't. Uh, I'll give her this because in the episode, I remember just not being impressed. Well, while I was watching the movie, and then you know, as, as we were talking about it, I wasn't really impressed with uh, her. She has this big musical number with with all of them. Once the team is all together, you know, they do a, a little song and dance. And I remember thinking, I guess because I was so distracted by her performance, I was like, this isn't good. Later on, just listening to the song on its own, the, the song is actually pretty good. Uh-huh. <laughs> so if you remove the, the kind of awkward visuals of her being slightly out of sync with the Muppets, uh, the performance is good. So it's just... A, it's just when you watch it all together that that doesn't quite work. Uh, still, she doesn't get a hooey, uh, at least not for me. Uh, another person that doesn't quite get a hooey but gets a mention is Phoebe Cates and Drop Dead Fred. I mean, it's one of those things where, on one hand, you feel bad for her because how do you... <laughs> this was the end. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what do you do when faced against the force of nature that's Rick Mail's performance in this in this movie, you know, it's like, in a way, her performance is the only thing that she could have done. Like, this is the only way that she could have handled it. But also, it still doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. It, I, I, she doesn't have any chemistry with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't say that she's disinterested, but I think that she didn't crack the code. Much like Ashanti with the Muppets, uh, that's Phoebe Cates with Rick Mail. <laughs> only Rick Mail is a lot more <laughs> difficult to to figure out, I think. When you work with Rick Mail, though, you got to... You have to walk a certain way to like sink your <laughs> your body with his. 
<laughs> and if you listen to their conversations without looking at the screen, it's like, oh, it actually sounds almost normal. Um, but neither Ashanti or Phoebe Cates were uh, even close to the level of just awkwardness and just like this th- that feeling of like, this isn't right <laughs> that I got when I was watching Cassie Thompson play Nicolas Cage's daughter in Left Behind. Mm. It's... I would say the second or third most important role in the movie, right? You have Cage, you have, uh, what's the name of the, Chad Michael Murray as the, yep. the journalist, and then she's Nicholas Cage's daughter. So Cage and Chad Michael Murray are in the plane, and she's the, the person that we have on the ground floor. She's she's experiencing the rapture in on land, and I just don't care. <laughs> just Part of it is just that her journey is about, I don't even know, finding her faith. Overall, anytime that the, the the movie broaches the subject of religion, it is subtle as a jackhammer, so that doesn't help. But then on top of that, yeah, she gets some really weird action scenes. There's a part where like a car is coming towards her, and she has to jump out of the way, and even that looks awkward. Um, she's not Nicolas Cage. She's not even Chad Michael Murray as far as how they can handle the the silliness of the movie. She's just maybe too earnest, and that's why it doesn't work. But uh, whatever the case, uh, she gets a hooey. The first one of her career, probably. Well, I know, because the, the hooeys are... <laughs> These are the inaugural hooeys. <laughs> and uh, hopefully the last. I don't know what else she's done. God brought me home? God did not bring me home. I brought me home. I bought the ticket. I got on the flight. God had nothing to do with it. All right, well, we took some of my thunder. We had... Uh... Phoebe Cates and Ashanti both agreed with that. And I just watched Gremlins today. Phoebe Cates has like, you know, her big incredibly depressing monologue in that for a children's <laughs> movie about her dad getting stuck in the chimney. But, you know, we talked about in that episode, why didn't she do more? And the answer is drop dead Fred. No, I, I don't. <laughs> she seems content with her life at this point. So good on her. Uh, but yeah. And then Ashanti as well. Uh, so then what I had that differs is Natasha Henstridge and Ghosts of Mars. <laughs> I didn't realize how much I really disliked that movie until I was going through this. Like there's, it's a fascinating piece of business to watch, but the more time you have to kind of ruminate on it, you're like, man, that movie sucks. <laughs> and it's not what we talked about. I don't think it's her fault. I think John Carpenter didn't particularly care. Uh, enough to give people direction on what they were supposed to do and like we said her and ice cube have one moment of like anything resembling chemistry and it's the last 10 seconds of the movie (laughs) and she's pretty painful up until that point and she is the lead because it's a movie that focuses around uh, the female characters so they kill Uh, pam greer off so we can focus on natasha (laughs) hanstridge yes and we're talking post jackie brown pam greer just fucking immiscible action here (laughs) By Mr. Carpenter. <laughs> Again, I can never get over how weird it is. That movie came out three weeks before 9-11. That's why no one remembers it. It was just there and then poof. Nothing matters. <laughs> but no, uh, it was not to be for Miss Hentridge to win the Huey as that honor is going to go to Anne Heche for 1998's <laughs> Psycho. Dude, I'm telling you, it's bad. And of like the people, Vince Vaughn ain't getting no uh, Embry from me, but at least like <laughs> <laughs> he's the only person in that movie that took the lines which again were the lines from the script from the 1960 psycho 
and seemed to know what to do with them. Everyone else in that movie seemed so overwhelmed by the idea of what was happening. Well, not William H. Macy. (laughs) Well, if you ask him. (laughs) Yeah. So overwhelmed by what was happening to the point of overthinking every word that they say. And like, there's parts like there are scenes where one sentence to the next is delivered with like differing inflection from Anne Heche. And like some of the, some of the lines she tries to like make her own with like, you know, her own way of saying it, her own spin are just like, ew. Insert Adam Sandler gif here. I disagree. Well, (laughs) I went to bat for Anne Heche on our Psycho episode once we got to real talk. And uh, I don't think I was alone. I think David had my back. So, which is fine. You know, more than one person can be wrong, but it's, uh, (laughs) I just, uh, yeah, it was, that movie was brutal to watch. And I think it was a lot of, uh, I think a lot of people overthought that. And I think the she was the most shining example of just the the way she was delivering her lines seemed like has this person ever like stood in front of a camera before? <laughs> but wow, checking out time is three p.m. Hotels of this sort aren't interested in when you come in, but and your time's up. <laughs> I hate having to be with you in a place like this. It's bad, dude. That movie's trash. Like I. <laughs> As uh, what's the what's the line that Jamie Lee Curtis has in Knives Out? Uh, not just Jamie Lee Curtis, but like everybody that tells Marta that they wanted her at the funeral, but they were, was it I was outvoted, or I was yeah something like that yeah. That's gonna be me when Anne Hayes is picking up her hooey, and I'll be like, I'm sorry, I was outvoted. <laughs> I didn't uh, think you should receive this. It's uh Jack Nicholson when uh, Crash won. Like you open the envelope, and we're up there presenting, and I read off Anne Haitian. You turn off camera and go, "What happened?" <laughs> <laughs> oh well, you know we can't agree on everything. That's the that's the spice of this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's what keeps us fresh. <laughs> All right, well then, from the Hooies to the Embrys, once again, uh, lead actress Embry, uh, Alex, my my Embry. I, I think it's pretty pretty obvious, but first I have a couple runner ups. And first runner-up is, and I'm not kidding, this is not a bit, Anne Heche in the Psycho remake. My God. <laughs> now I wish I'd given her the Embry, just to balance things out. But I have someone that I like uh, even, you know, a lot more. But uh, just a brief rebuttal. I, I think that she does well. <laughs> I, I think that she she actually gives her own spin to the character. I'm not saying her performance is better than in the original Psycho. But I think that she makes it work in a more contemporary way. And I think she has better chemistry with Viggo Mortensen than, uh, uh, what's the name of the, just Gen- Gen- yeah. Stop. Just stop. <laughs> anyway, runner-up number one. Runner-up number two, good old Sergi Lopez got shut out of the uh, supporting actor Embry because that category was loaded. But that's not the case with Ivana Baquero from Pan's Labyrinth. Back then, she was a little girl. I'm sure she's just like a grown woman. But Ivana Bacara is, is the the girl that takes us on the journey. Uh, I think she's good. You know, you my feelings regarding child actors are well known. Mm-hmm. Uh, just see the previous Last Action Hero discussion. Just 
a little bit ago. Um, I think she nails it. I think she's she's really good. She doesn't overdo it, and she. Uh, I mean, that movie has a really sad ending, and you 100% buy it because of her performance. So she gets a, a shout out. She doesn't quite get the Embry though, because the Embry goes to one of the biggest revelations I had over the past couple months. And that was uh, Mira Sorvino's performance in Romeo Michel's High School Reunion. I walked away from that movie so enchanted by Mira Sorvino's performance that I went and watched Mimic, a movie I had zero interest in before, just because I'm like, okay, I want to watch something else with Mira Sorvino in it. She's great. She's, you know, the Phoebe is Phoebe. Uh, Lisa Kudrow, you know, she's, she's funny too. And yeah, they both carry the movie, but Mira Sorvino is the one that just... I think is uh, it, she's the star, and and she is funny. She's sexy. She has good comic timing, and also has just the right moments where she can be vulnerable and and really hit the, the emotional notes in the in the story. It's uh, really really amazing. What the hell is your problem, Christy? Why are you always such a nasty bitch? You get some kind of sick pleasure from torturing other people. I mean, yeah, okay. So Michelle and I did make up some lame story. We only did it because we wanted you to treat us like human beings. But you know what I finally realized? I don't care if you like us, because we don't like you. You're a bad person with an ugly heart, and we don't give a flying fuck what you think. I, I think most people would walk away from that movie saying, okay, what else can I watch that has Mio Sorvino in it? And the answer is you should watch Mighty Aphrodite if you can get past the fact that it has Woody Allen in it. <laughs> That's what she won for, right? Yeah. Best Supporting Actress. Not as prestigious as winning the uh, lead actress Embry, of course. (laughs) Alex, how about you? Um, uh, Well, there's a lot of overlap here. Um, Surprisingly, in the spirit of the award, in the spirit of the Embry, I'm going to give one of the runner-up slots to Melissa McCarthy in The Happy Time Murders. Bravo, sir. (laughs) I'm so proud of you. Did not care for that movie. Found it pretty tiresome by the end. But she, and especially her shtick, you want to talk about tiresome, it can be that way. But she's funny in it. And she, like, nails the idea of the beaten down detective. And, you know, it's it's something that shouldn't work and does. And it's, like, one of the only things that works in the movie. And uh, out of all the movies we've done, I think it's the hardest I laughed at a singular line when she says, can we get Stevie Ray Vaughan some glasses? And <laughs> they say, what Stevie Ray Vaughan, the, the blind piano player is like Stevie Ray Vaughan wasn't blind. You're thinking of Stevie wonder. That's just such a, whoever wrote that joke, you know, the, the rest of it was just like complete. They were striking out the entire time, but they had a grand slam with that one. It's good shit. Uh, second runner up. I actually gave it to the team of Mira Sorvino and Lisa Kudrow. Yeah, she's Phoebe, but they play off each other so incredibly. That's fair. And uh, the only thing you really needed to see, of course, assuming you've seen the movie, but that last scene together is just perfect. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they're talking about like you know how much longer they have to work to pay things off, and then they like they, you think there's going to be this moment where they realize what they've learned in this journey for the past hour and a half, and then. <laughs> Let's fold scarves. Okay. That's so good. <laughs> but the Embry goes to, and this isn't even really in the spirit of the award, just can't be denied. Uh, Ivana Baccaro from nice. Pan's Labyrinth, man. Just 
fucking money, dude. Like that's uh, I me- I mentioned Last Action Hero and explaining the tone and what this movie's supposed to be to a child. Uh, Pan's Labyrinth is a little bit deeper than Last Action Hero, so like trying to explain that to a child and getting them to um respond with the performance that she gives in this and it's not even like the the famous scene it's not just the end it's not the scene with the guy that's eating the fairies it's it's just everything like the fear she has of her stepdad and it just tremendous tremendous shit so i i'm sure she can add this uh embry to the uh just absolute deluge of uh awards that she has from that movie Hermano. Hermano. Si me escuchas, las cosas por aquí no están muy bien. Pero ya pronto tendrás que salir. Has puesto muy mala mamá. Cuando salgas, quiero pedirte una cosa. Solo una. Que no la hagas daño, mamá. This is awesome because, you know, just while I was doing my thing, she was like, damn it, missed it. And then <laughs> plot twist, you gave it to her. <laughs> She's the, yeah, when you were reading him off, she was John Void at the end of uh, <laughs> Tropic, Tropic Thunder. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Well, yeah. hopefully she was not like Eddie Murphy and just left after her name wasn't called out. <laughs> God, I respect that behavior so much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's do the actor. Let's go to uh, Huey for actor, for lead actor. It's your turn, Alex. Hit me with your runner-ups and winner. For lead actor, all right. No surprises in coming here. Uh, Sam Worthington for Avatar. (laughs) Outright abject fraud. Uh, I did have Chad Michael Murray because I feel like he's like a co-lead in that with um, Nick Cage. And he's real bad, man. Like... Watching that, it kind of made sense why he was no longer like the heartthrob, the that he was kind of positioned to be there for a moment where he was going to be the leading man in like rom coms and shit. That's it's bad shit, man. <clears throat> I feel a need to bring up Matthew Perry in Almost Heroes because he's just Chandler, and it's like we talked about in the Friends Stavaganza, just the varying degrees of performances that we got from our Friends cast, and even though Matt LeBlanc, for example, wasn't good per se in Lost in Space, he um, was trying to do something different. Ross was trying too hard. You know, (laughs) Jennifer Aniston just does the same shit over and over again, but it seems to find a way to work in the things she does. We're talking about like a period piece comedy, and he's doing like 1990s style sarcasm, (laughs) and it's just, it's not good. Uh, but the uh, Huey for actor in a leading role goes to Taylor Lautner for Twilight New Moon. Oh, poor guy. I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> I was I was hoping that by the end of this five movie cycle, you you had softened on him enough that you're like, all right, I forgive you for New Moon. Even like Ice Cube and uh, Ghost of Mars has some good shit, and you know some of the other poor movies that we've done to be honest like this past year we didn't do any like all-time stinkers there was one that's like an outlier but 
you know, we come to these sometimes at the end and looking back in the past year and there'll be like three or four movies that were just fucking dog shit. And in this case, there's just like <laughs> one that stands out. And again, I said my piece on the Twilight franchise and he does become more enjoyable or you know, tolerable, whatever word you want to use. But like he's just a vortex of energy, uh, negative energy and just boredom in New Moon. And I'm sorry. I hope. All your money is treating you well, Mr. Lautner, and whatever <laughs> supermodel that you're currently snogging. But uh, you're going to have to pick up this hooey on your way home. If any of them bites a human, the truce is over. What if I choose it? It has nothing to do with you. No. No, I won't let you. You're not going to be one of them, Bella. He's uh he's alerts are blowing up. He's looking at his phone. He's like, "What the fuck is a hooey?" <laughs> <laughs> um, I had him as one of my honorable mentions as well uh, for all my defending because he does get better, or at least I think that they find the right way to use him and in, in the latter movies. But yeah, he is he does not benefit from all the attention he gets in New Moon. So uh, yeah, he's. He sucks, but not enough for me to give him a hooey. Uh, and I also had Matthew Perry as my other honorable mention, because you're right. I don't know how much of it is him not trying new things and how much of it was just him being hampered by the direction. You know, I mean, my mind's still blown by the fact that this was directed by Christopher Guest, that Almost Heroes was directed by Christopher Guest. And that was I, so much of like your focus <laughs> in that episode. I still, like, I'm still <laughs> processing it, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> I just, I have a hard time believing that Christopher Guest, who's made such out of the box movies, would be okay with Matthew Perry giving such a, not lazy performance, but just such a, you know, it's exactly what you would expect from Matthew Perry. And, you would think that Christopher Guest would ask him to push into new boundaries, especially because what he's doing doesn't match what the movie requires. Uh, I don't know. Either way, I mean, he was really close to getting it. But in the end, Jason Lee gets it for kissing a fool. Oh. Because that is... He doesn't have the excuse of this being a period piece. <laughs> Just <laughs> This was set in present day. He's played characters like this before. He just made the decision to dim his charisma. He was Will Smithing After Earth. It was like, nope, I'm going to let my buddy David Schwimmer <laughs> take all the attention here. And I'm just going to whine and be a loser here in the background. God, he's, yeah. He's the main character. And he is, He, I, I can't think of a single laugh that I got from him. It, it, he's just a drag. And I'm not rooting for him to to be happy. I just, I just want the movie to be over. So he gets the hooey. Jason Lee, I love you in so many other movies, but in this one, nope, not your best work. And that must be, there must be consequences to your actions. <laughs> you know, I know it's not my business, but I just wanted to make sure that you were okay from yesterday. Oh, yeah. I'm a rock. Well, if you want to talk. Have you just not been able to get someone out of your head? I mean, you know it's over, but I walk around with this pit in my stomach and, and everyone tells me I'll get over it. All I'm asking is when. But now we can move on to uh, happier things, Alex, such as the Embry for lead actor. And I'll get us started here with my uh, runners up. And I'm going to start with someone that uh, 
it's kind of like a out of left field. I guess I was doing the list. I was like, you know what? This guy deserves a little bit of recognition. That is Paul McGann from the Doctor Who movie that we did because uh, I almost mentioned Will Sasso and supporting because I was like, <laughs> you know, he he didn't realize he was just a couple years away from his big break on Mad TV. And so he was just like, Working I got it. 30 seconds on camera. It's time <laughs> to give it my all. What an interesting movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we both agreed as we were recording the episode that that was not really uh, our kind of thing. But even if it's not your thing, it's hard to deny the enthusiasm that Paul McGann has in just taking this character. That. You know, he's like, I'm the fucking doctor. It's me now. <laughs> it's it's just going to be who knows how many seasons of a TV show for me. And then, of course, they just mix it. And when they relaunch the, the series, it's not him. It's some other dude. So that sucks. But for one brief moment, he was the star of the movie. And I know, you know, we talked about it in the episode. He, he went on to still be the eighth doctor. You know, in, uh, in radio shows and eventually in a, a short film. But in this movie, you know, this movie has a lot of flaws, but I can't deny uh, Paul McGann's Ethan Embry's brand of enthusiasm in it. So so he gets uh, a shout out, as well as someone who you kind of begrudgingly uh, gave somewhat props to, and that is Vince Vaughn in the Psycho remake. Ugh. I agree with what you said, Alex. He is, I mean, he's definitely doing his best he's doing the most out of everybody in that cast to put his stamp on that character and he knows that he's up against anthony perkins's performance and he knows there's going to be comparisons so he just does his own thing and and i think that he's got disadvantage on both sides now (laughs) because as we look at it from today we are bringing the baggage of Oh, well, he's Vince Vaughn, the comedian. But then also there's the baggage from the past because he's not Anthony Perkins. So it is a really tough position to be put in. And I think that he does admirably, all things considered. Uh, Not enough to get an Embry, but I think he deserves, you know. I mean, I gave him props in the episode and that was very recent, but still. Now, none of these gentlemen are on the same level as the eventual Embry winner on my end. And that is... Gary Bond, who wasn't, from what I remember on your research, he wasn't exactly what you would call like a a movie actor, right? He, if I remember he, correctly, he only had, he that was one of three movies that he did. Yeah, and uh, here he is thrown into this wild feature film, uh, just going toe-to-toe against Donald Pleasance and just getting in, Dude, some really nasty shit as the movie goes on and uh he he comes out on top i mean not in the movie itself well i guess even in the movie but as an actor he never fades away he never fades into the background the way that jason lee does and gets in a fool mm-hmm. you're always with him and you uh even though he is not the the loud weird character that all everybody else is uh he's still very magnetic and you, you just you keep following him and you want to see what happens to him. And his his descent into madness is just so believable. He's it's a great performance. I think that he's uh, uh he does a lot uh without really overdoing it, which would be the temptation, right? When you're you're right next to Donald Pleasance doing what Donald Pleasance is doing in this movie, I think that the instinct is to kind of try to match that energy, but instead he pulls back 
and he does that through the entire movie. It's it's great. I I mean, I said on the episode, I was like, you know, Pleasance is great, but to me, the MVP is Gary Bond, and uh, that holds true to this day as I hand him his embry. You're new to the ever? I just dropped in for the night. I'm flying to Sydney in the morning. Uh-huh. Come far? To Bunda. Ah, oh, nice little place. You like it? Paradise on Earth. Yeah. What do you do out there? Oh, I'm a bonded slave of the education department. I'm a school teacher. Uh, just going back to the hooey for actor, I was just curious if you were like me and Rick Mayall didn't take home the hooey for you because that would have been too obvious and because we already spent too much time bashing him on the episode. Is that, <laughs> was that your... <laughs> Uh, no, it was, uh, I have him on my short list, but then eventually I was like, you know what? He was going for it. And I don't think that, that I it, should, you know, <laughs> slap that down. <laughs> that was kind of my thinking too. And also like he did exactly what he wanted to and mm-hmm. he did exactly what people expected of him. So there's no purpose in that. So I'm glad neither of us went the predictable route with that. Yeah. Um, no, no, he's, uh, they're bigger fish to fry anyway. Jason Lee. So for the Embrys, I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge the the patron saint, the reason for the season. Ethan Embry, Preston, and Can't Hardly Wait, which really? obviously uh, his energy is so infectious. And like, it's the same thing. That movie has, I was not complimentary at all of Jennifer Love Hewitt's acting ability. But I think, especially the last scene in the train station, he carries that scene in the sense of like his charisma and his like Preston's charisma and Preston's enthusiasm and Preston's like desire to be with this girl carries the entire scene and makes up for like her lack of believability just as an actress. Um, This is where the the director cuts to a close up of Ben and his wife just sitting (laughs) in the corner, shaking their heads. It's a, Fuck, there was a few years ago where they cut to the crowd and Gerard Butler looked miserable and then he realized he was on camera and he just started like uh clapping. It was so fucking good. Um and then he has that scene. Who's the redhead from that you Lauren knew Ambrose. right away? What Lauren is she Ambrose, from? Is uh from Six Feet Under. Six Feet Under. He has the scene with her where like it's their like goodbye and he like kind of makes fun of her for hooking up with Seth Green. It's, it's good. And, and it's just, it's the award is named after him for crying out loud. got to give him some props. Um, Brad Pitt and Moneyball. I still think that's one of Brad Pitt's best performances. Uh, Michael Sheen in the damned United is very, very good. Arnold Schwarzenegger and last action hero, I think <laughs> is uh, a little bit underrated. He's, he's very funny in that and very, very self-aware. She gets time a, where, he gets the inception moment. Yeah. At a time where that wasn't really, you know, in fashion, in vogue. But uh, I hope he didn't go too far because uh, Gary Bond's got another Embry to pick up Ooh. because, yeah, <laughs> I went that as well. Because, you know, one, it's a movie that kind of blew my mind to begin with uh, just because I had never seen it. And for the reasons we talk about in the episode. But again, just because this motherfucker only did you know, three movies or whatever it was. And like, when I think about Gary Bond in Wake and Fright, I think of after he's bottomed out and he's like dirty and sweaty and he's just like, he can't keep his hand steady, but he's chugging that beer in the bar Mm -hmm. and just, 
this was his last movie. He did two movies before this, and this was his last performance. And yeah, he's excellent in this. Um, that whole movie was like a. It wasn't a blind spot. I knew I had. It was like a welcome surprise, I guess. So, there you go. Gary Bond's gonna go to the bar and just uh, chug beers like he did in the movie, but this time because he's happy. This is in celebration. It's to to commemorate, not to forget. Thanks, mate. Have another one. Oh, no, I don't really like to. One more beer, thanks, Joyce. Jock, you damn near saved my life just now. How about completing the job by giving me a cigarette, huh? Do you think the old Pleasants will take it okay? You know, he'll be okay with the fact that Gary Bond takes two uh, Embrys and Pleasants didn't get one. Well, Julio, discontent is the luxury of the well-to-do. So I think... Uh, <laughs> with nothing else, the old Pleasants got the, the shout-out from Jamie. So he's okay. All right. Well, Alex, we have four awards left because I have an anti-gad. I don't know if you do. I have two that will likely get me death threats. Oh, shit. Okay. Well, so do you want to do the GAT first or the anti-GAT first? Uh, Anti-GAT. Again, trying to finish on a positive note. So so you go first then. All right. I don't think these are bad movies. I need to clarify with that. I only really came up with two in the spirit of the anti-GAT of like when you see their Rotten Tomatoes score – in my opinion, my knee-jerk reaction is to say, okay, well, that doesn't entirely tell the story or that doesn't accurately reflect what you're dealing with here. And one of those is The Lighthouse, standing at 90%. Julio and I both had thoughts, many of them, on that movie. I don't think it's a bad film by any stretch of the imagination or any way you could define bad. I don't think it's that. Um, I just think it's a movie that kind of needs a bit of context and... Um, also is a movie that I think has been a bit uh, over uh, not overrated but just kind of overhyped because the movie tries to be if you're like a a big movie fan or a cinephile that movie like tries to be your friend and buddy buddy up to you Mm -hmm. and so when it's over you're like oh man that was great whereas it's kind of like yeah there's good things about this and then also, I'm sorry, 97% on Rotten Tomatoes and the legacy that this movie holds. It, Mad Max Fury Road, that <laughs> reputation does not tell the whole story about that. <laughs> we will not let go. <laughs> it's a fine action movie, and there are elements of it that are very good. There's some cool action. There's uh, a good narrative. But it's not a Best Picture nominee. It's not a 97% movie like yeah, Terminator 2 is 93%. And that's like an example of something I'd be like, Terminator 2 is like a movie that you watch and you feel like change when it's over. Mad Max Fury Road is something that's like, oh, that was fun. And I think it's not that I'm not okay with people giving it A's and shit like that. It's just the way people interpret the Rotten Tomato score and what the purpose of this award is, is to say that, we've watched this movie and we don't think that it's rotten tomato score is entirely uh, grounded. And I would say that about Mad Max Fury road. So Mad Max gets the anti-gat. Correct. All right. That's bait. Stay in the ring. 
Nikon Cannon. I am the daughter of Mary Jobasa. My clan was Swaddle Dog. I thought about it. And then I was like, oh, you know. Alex will do it. <laughs> Alex will do it. And I, I have a couple other things I want to say. <laughs> and one of them is about the lighthouse, which I agree. Uh, I, I don't think that that Rotten Tomatoes score represents what most people think it does or what it should. It's just, uh, yeah, I mean, I look at it and it's like, yeah, it's an interesting movie. And I appreciate that it was trying to do things. But... Uh, you know, people are going to point out that score and tell me, like, that is, like, a great movie. No, not quite. Um, I think a lot of people are probably going in to watch it because of that score and then walking away a little confused when they didn't enjoy it and fe- thinking that they did something wrong <laughs> because they didn't enjoy it. Um, also on the uh, this shouldn't be that fresh category, Scream 2, which uh, it gets a lot of love from Scream fans. But just because it might be better than some of the other sequels doesn't mean that it's a great movie. I, Correct. It's just, uh, I mean, we, we took it apart pretty thoroughly in the in the episode we did. But the anti-gad is actually going to go to Dead Alive. I'm sorry, Paul. I know we're just like pummeling all your <laughs> picks tonight. Uh, but if you listen to our Dead Alive episode, then uh, this shouldn't be a surprise. It's... Uh, it's a movie that has this iconic status, and I it just didn't work for me. It was just kind of monotonous, and I I just wasn't getting. It just became. It got old really fast. Mm-hmm. So again, like with the lighthouse, I appreciate what it was trying to do, but I think that it's it's a little too high in the tomato meter. If people are gonna read it that way, you know, as as a measure of uh, I guess just how much people should like a movie or how much they're likely to like a movie. Look, I'm really sorry about the zoo, Paquita. It's just mum. She's... You know. We go out again? To a movie? Look, I'd like to. But it's not... It's just not possible. Not possible? But we are romantically entangled. Entangled? Oh, look. Look at her. I don't know what you're thinking, but... um. I just can't see you anymore. Question. Would would you also consider Days and Confused being 92% to kind of belong in that category as well? No, because Days and Confused really won me back once we got to the end. Uh, gotcha. Yeah. If you listen to the episode, I, was, I wasn't sure about it. And then that ending really pulled it together. So good on you, Rick. He did, as I said on the episode, he did what he failed to do in uh, Boyhood. Boyhood, yeah. Boyhood (laughs) spent so much time and then just shed the bed at the end. And whereas Days and Confused really stuck the landing. Um, Agreed. So now the opposite, the good stuff, the gad. Let's, Let's vindicate a movie... Or movies that have rotten scores and uh, are probably there are people that are staying away from them because they see those rotten scores. Uh, Alex, I'll go first. Mm-hmm. I think the Doctor Who movie has uh, kind of a, a bad reputation that is not fair, doesn't exactly represent. I think that there is 
I guess the, the experience you have if you're a hardcore Doctor Who fan, but then there are people that are casual viewers, and I think that they're probably they would have an okay time if they just want to have you know ninety minutes of science fiction time travel stuff. I would I would give a, a an honorary mention to that, and then my other honorable mention is brace yourself, my friend, uh, the Psycho remake, <laughs> which is rotten and. It, Unbelievable. I think that it, it almost doesn't make sense. It's the exact same movie. <laughs> it shouldn't be, you know, that and, and the changes it makes for the most part are good. Like it's too low on the you know, it gets too much hate for what it is. That it doesn't get enough. <laughs> uh Vince Vaughn and Hage. William H. Macy. <laughs> it's bad in theaters now. <laughs> Find out why in theaters now. Um, but the guy is going to go to a different movie that you also don't like. I wonder which one you dislike the most. Uh, but this one, I'm going to give it to the Happy Time Murders. Uh, we we talked about it on the episode. I think that it's, it's a bummer that it flopped. It's a bummer that it's become <laughs> a movie that people point out as a failure. Because I think that there was a lot of potential there. Um, Forget about the fact that I find it funny, you know, and I know that's actually a big deal. I mean, if you don't find it funny, then of course the movie's not going to work. But I, I think that there were some really cool ideas that uh, Brian Henson was playing with, and I really would have liked him to have the opportunity to just expand on them and just keep going. Because I think that as much as I praise the sex scene, I think that there's more to it than just that that really over-the-top sex scene between puppets. There's just uh, the idea of the the dynamics in this society of humans and puppets where puppets are the minorities are oppressed and so on. It, that that was good stuff. And I think that a lot of people are going to look at the rotten score and not give it a chance at all. Vinny. Hey, Vin. It's Phil. Vinny. <gasps> Well, wow. Hi. Hey, Sweet mother of God. What the fuck are you doing back there? Oh, yeah. It's cow's gone sour, too. We've been milkier. Oh. What the fuck? Yeah, the internet's killing me, so I'm creating my own content. Jesus Christ. Shut, shut the curtain, would you? Brother, I would watch the Happy Time Murders five times in a row before I'd watch that Psycho remake again. <laughs> well, that makes me happy. Yeah. I don't get it. Like, I thought it was, like, performative at one point of just you talking about, like, that Psycho remake. And, <laughs> nope. You're really just that uh, far gone. It's called real talk, Alex. I was being real. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, for my gad, honorable mentions, I mean, I get camera two ready to focus in on Ben again. Because I, I think it's heavily driven by nostalgia. <laughs> but I... I he's think forty now. Instead of shaking his head, he's nodding. Forty percent for uh, can't hardly wait is a bit rough. I I really do enjoy that movie. Um, it's one that I could be completely blinded by nostalgia in regards to, but there's so much fun in it. The soundtrack's so good, and I, I you know it's the same thing I would say about like if we did. Um, road trip because i think that has a low rating as well it's like if you know what you're getting into then that little rotten tomato score really shouldn't affect too much but you know a lot of it does for a lot of people and i think this i would hate for this movie to be hindered by that because it is just a dumb 
rom-com high school hijinks movie with uh what's it carlisle cullen <laughs> carlisle cullen uh, semi-pro is in my honorable mentions as well. Uh, go back to our episode and listen to it. I think there's a 22% for that. It's just ridiculous. That's a for crime. The, it is a crime. <laughs> I, I highly encourage you to go listen to our episode. If you want to know what the, how this formula works when we actually enjoy a movie that, uh, has a, a rotten rating, but great, great, great movie. Uh, but the gad goes to, a movie that I just had so much fun researching and learning about and watching for the first time we did it, despite the fact that it took home a hooey earlier. Uh, 1993's Last Action Hero is going to pick up the nice. gad for a 38% rating on Rotten Tomato, which is a bit ridiculous for, again, I kind of understand it. It bombed at the time. It uh, kind of alienated some of its audience, but it was a movie that really, like, it was really trying something new and I feel that there's a lot of warts and all. There's a lot of good to that movie and a 38% rating doesn't tell the whole story and doesn't uh, necessarily do the justice that it deserves. That's cool. I can side with that. I, I was honestly, I did mention semi pro I had on my short list, but I'm like, surely Alex is going to give it the gad. <laughs> it was close. It, it was between those two. There was a, uh, Many cups of coffee and cigarettes to make that decision. Yeah, I mean it makes sense. I think that uh, Last Action Hero has a stronger, bigger uh, group of defenders than Semi Pro, but it's also a movie that that uh, risks more, <laughs> tries more stuff. Both yeah. of them, you should watch them. It's the bottom line. I just got fired. What you find so entertaining happens to be my life. Now I'm not even a cop anymore. Don't get your badge back. He was just pulling rank because you're destroying more of the city than usual. Jack, you're not just my hero, you're everybody's hero. And it'll all be okay again. Trust me. No, Danny. It's getting harder. I never started out to be anything but a decent cop. But I kept getting involved in these crazy adventures. But the craziest part is, I kept surviving. All right, it's time for the big one, Julio. Time for the big one, big ones. Uh, so let's start with the big, the big hooey. <laughs> the hooey is just. Do you think the hooey is just like a uh, like a bust of uh, Gene Siskel's head? Like, well, I guess a bust is a head, <laughs> a big Gene Siskel bust. Yeah, but he's got his hand up. It's that one screen cap I use where his eyes are closed and he has that extremely condescending smirk on his face. <laughs> That like when he was trying to stop Ebert from the middle of a sentence and just like, all right, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, you go first in this one. No, this is possibly my most predictable category. Runners up include Twilight New Moon and Ghost of Mars with the Hui going home with Drop Dead Fred. I, <laughs> <laughs> Paul, I'm sorry. I that was the the least fun I had doing a movie this past year for our show. And we did like the ice storm, which is one of the most crushingly depressing movies. We did fucking uh, Aniara for our <laughs> patron feed <laughs> and that movie. Like I, I just wanted to sleep for three days when it was over. <laughs> Drop dead Fred. I remember it took me like three hours to get through it because I kept pausing it and uh, just to like get away from it. 
I just really, and it, like I said in my letterbox review, I yes, just because something's analogous doesn't mean that it can't fucking suck. And that movie is uh, not something that I enjoyed, and I can't even really be fun about it. It was one of those that like it felt like work trying to be facetious about making it good. Whereas most of the time it's just you and I can have fun and riff with it. Uh, so sorry, Paul, sorry to the apparent throngs of drop dead Fred fans that there are out there. Uh, but it is taking home the hooey. I got some dog poo right here. They need to, uh, all those Drop Dead Fred fans need to become certified Rotten Tomatoes critics so they can up Beef that up. score. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, on my end, Alex, a uh, lot of overlap in the sense that I also have New Moon as a, as a potential major Huey winner because uh, it was easily the weakest chapter in the Twilight Saga. Unlike you, I, I don't appreciate Almost Heroes almost at all. <laughs> So, uh, Almost Heroes almost got it as well. That was rough. And I'm glad that I had your your love for the for the movie, your nostalgia for it, your your history with Chris Farley to just get us through that episode because I was I was running on empty when it came to good things that I could say about it. That's fair. Um, but in the end, uh we we are in agreement. Drop that, Fred. Was man, that was brutal. <laughs> it was like we finished that recording, and I was just dabbing sweat from my forehead. Just <laughs> God, we did it, and now I have to edit it. <laughs> it's a uh, dude. That was the other part. I I remember I was like late getting real talk back to you because I was just like, I don't want to hear us talk about this. Like I I don't. <laughs> I want to be done with this. Charlie, do 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 Paul, I, I want to say this because uh, he brought it up. He sent a message earlier. Uh, uh, it was a while ago. He sent a message a while ago reminding us that he is also the man behind the uh, Baccarat pick. So... It's not like Paul has always led us stray. It's just that this year, you know, he had Dead Alive and he had... <laughs> no, the he's the, the patron wild card. And, like, to be fair, with Dead Alive, there were things about it I liked. I just, like... Yeah, I mean, know, that was a really, fun conversation. It really felt like that was, like, you know, what the A-Team is to me. That kind of felt like his Dead Alive of just, like, this kind of random movie that he just fucking loves. And so I can respect that. And, yeah, that was a fun conversation. But with this one, man, it was... Uh, it was different. It was the opposite of Baccarat in terms of like <laughs> something I hadn't seen and had minimal knowledge of went into and uh, the emotions I came out with. Yeah. They can't all be Baccarat. I guess that's the, that's the lesson here. That's true. That, that movie came up in conversation the other day uh, with my sister asking if we were going to watch it for October. I was like, oh, it's not really a horror movie. And she's like, it's unbelievably violent. I was like, yeah, but... <laughs> All right. Well, let's go 
let's go to the final one. Let's end up. Uh, let's end on a high note. Some good stuff. Alex, is is your Embry as predictable as your uh, Hui? I guess we'll find out after I give you my picks. <laughs> all right. So for me, uh, a movie that we haven't mentioned at all, except for a reference that I made that probably won't make the final edit. <laughs> that is Knives Out. Uh, it's a it's a great movie. I think that the way I justify it, it as an Embry, because it's a movie that's also well-loved by critics and audiences. But I think that a lot of audiences, at least, a lot of members of the audience, at least, might not appreciate it fully. Because I think that that movie, on top of being uh, really funny and really clever in the way it's constructed and everything, uh, like I said on the episode, what really makes it special for me is just that it doesn't shy away from being political. And be political in the today, you know, <laughs> the year and now. I really like that. Uh, so I, I toyed with that being uh, my Embry. Uh, second one, and this was really close. This could have won it. And it's Wake and Fright, which, you know, we've mm-hmm. been praising throughout the night. Uh, it was just, uh, uh, it was jolting. <laughs> it was so good. And it's not like we didn't have... I wouldn't say negative things to say about it, but you know, we had a an extended discussion about the the uh, kangaroo hunt sequences, and that was, you know, it's not an easy yeah. watch, and it was, uh, you know, we had a good discussion about whether it was justified or not, whether it worked or not, but the movie as a whole, in the end, is still quite uh, an experience. It's really powerful. It, you know, Gary Bond didn't take two embers for nothing. I mean, he's he's great, and so is pretty much everybody else in that movie. I wish we had more uh, supporting actor Embrys to spare so we could give one to Jock as well because I, I think that Jock is, is a character that's uh, pretty memorable. It's, it's, it's good. And Chas, this year you, you, you did well. You, uh, <laughs> you gave us an Australian classic that we could all appreciate. But in the end, uh, I'm going to go with a movie that even though it's fresh in the tomato meter and it's, I mean, it's well-liked. And we definitely uh, gushed all over it, I think, on, on our episode. But it's also a bit of a black sheep in its franchise, and that is Muppets Most Wanted. Interesting. I mean, we're on the same page here, Alex. We both agree it's not uh, the Muppets, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's almost the next best thing, at least as far as uh, you know, contemporary Muppet movies. And I know you... You have a really soft spot with Muppets Take Manhattan, and I do as well. But I think that this one is just, you know, it's funny. It's very clever. It doesn't rehash uh, the the formula from the previous movie, which could have been really easy for them to do. It tries to do something else. It finds an interesting use for Walter, which could have been, you know, that was a big danger. You introduced Walter in the previous movie, mm-hmm. and now it's like, what do you do with it? Uh, and uh, it has really good human uh, performances yeah you know I, I i'm giving it the embry because it's a movie that could have coasted and it didn't in the spirit of ethan embry it's puppets it, most wanted tried to do something else and then it kind of got a slap on the wrist for doing so um it's not its fault that you know it made less money than the previous movie it was just it was bound to happen so uh yeah, Muppets Most Wanted, the entire team, bring all the Muppets to the podium. They, they all get a, an Embry, or at least they can pass God. it around. That'd be so awesome. Just like <laughs> all coming up. Fozzie wearing the fart shoes. <laughs> Comrades, 
I'm afraid I have bad news. Walter and Fonzie have quit the Muppets. Wait, you can quit the Muppets? Wait a second, Walter quit the Muppets? We just did a whole movie where he joined the Muppets. Yeah, we sure spent a lot of time on it. I'll say, maybe even at the expense of other long-standing beloved Muppets. Come on, Robin. Your turn. Uh, you were right. I do have Muppets Take Manhattan in my honorable mentions. Uh, just a fucking classic. I also have Wake and Fright there. Um, the 1960s Psycho, having seen that numerous times before, but just like every time I feel like my mind's blown when it's over and especially taking notes on it. I was just like, holy shit, this movie's incredible. Uh, but for the most memorable experience of what I think the best movie we covered in the past year is, because uh, again, I hadn't seen it or if i had i watched it in college and forgotten all about it and talk about having your mind blown uh pan's labyrinth is gonna win the embry for film of the year here in the contrarians it's i mean i'm not gonna say anything about pan's labyrinth that hasn't already been said and i'm pretty sure the prestige of the embry ranks somewhere in the middle of what they've (laughs) all the awards that movies won it's just an unbelievable exercise in filmmaking and such an interesting array of emotions that you go through watching it. Just a a fantastic film. And, you know, we're quickly approaching November and I think I'm going to have to pull the trigger and get the uh, criterion during the sale next month. Great shit. This is the way. El asunto es muy sencillo. Usted va a hablar. Y yo tengo que saber que me está diciendo la verdad. Precisamente para eso hemos traído unas cosillas. Nada complicado. Cosas que aprende uno por ahí. Another Chess Fisher pick, by the way. Mm-hmm. He took all the polls, Mojo. All right. Well, that does it. Just uh, bring the orchestra. Uh, have Billy Crystal close us with a, a couple of jokes. But that that's <laughs> it for the Embrys 2020. Uh, there are more awards to give out, as we said in our interlude. Uh, the Patronis are on our patron feed. If not right now, then definitely really soon. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, keep an eye out for that if you're a patron. And if you're not a patron, what are you waiting for? Uh, just a dollar will get you access to that. So thank you to everybody listening. I think, Alex, as we head into year nine, not that we, I mean, we do this all the time, but perhaps more than ever, <laughs> thank you to all the listeners oh, who yeah. somehow tune in because they find us entertaining, perhaps even every now and then insightful, if we are to believe some of the messages we get from time to time. Uh, yeah, well, we wouldn't do this if there wasn't people listening to it because there clearly are, and we really appreciate the fact that y'all do. It's uh, it's fun to make this, and it's fun and rewarding to know there's people out there that really enjoy what it is we do. So we will continue uh, to do so. Um, Julio, what uh, what is the first film of year nine? That's something that you picked, Alex. We are going to open year nine with Warrior, uh, a Tom Hardy vehicle that is not a romantic comedy. <laughs> Uh, there's a lot going on in that movie, man. (laughs) All right, Julio. Well, the network's kicking us off the air. We got to wrap it up. The the band's (laughs) playing. 
uh, Will Smith has already assaulted somebody, so we we got to get out of here. Uh, it's getting ugly. It is. I think it's time to move into perennial plugs. So we will start off by giving a thanks to the festive years who provide our opening. So we'll start off by giving thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Secondly, we'd like to give a shout out to the boys at the Late Night Grin. You can follow them on Twitter at Late Night Grin. This leans more into the the wrestling side of things, a wrestling fandom. But they also do some uh, watch-alongs with movies. Uh, For the month of October, they were doing some watch-alongs for the Halloween franchise. And, uh, you know, every once in a while, a grin-along is what they call them. They'll they'll have some movies on there as well. Good dudes over there, friends of mine. They help support our cause, so we want to help support theirs. Thirdly, we'd like to shout out Hansroth Geezer, the man behind our logo uh, and all the graphics that you see everywhere contrarian-related, uh, be it uh, our Patreon page, our merch page, our regular webpage, even the little Halloween-inspired logo that we've had throughout October. That's all Hansroth Geezer. Check out his work on his website, mildemonios.pe. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S dot P-E. Or you can contact him on Twitter, at Mildemonios uh, on email Mildemonios at hotmail.com tell him how much you like his art uh, or if you listen to either of his two podcasts tell him how much you like those uh, he hosts Nacion Combi which is about Peruvian current affairs and Marginal which is about economy and he also has a whole bunch of books about zombies and other fantasy stuff uh, the most recent one is Requiem for Tarma uh, so check all that stuff out tell Hans that we sent you and Hans thank you for all your support and lastly, we want to say thank you for the support and effort from Miss Zoe Perez, our social media czar, guru, what have you. Facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime, uh, Instagram at Contrarian Prime, our Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, and also we have a new YouTube page, which is linked in our show notes. Uh, so be sure to check that out and subscribe there as well. Zoe, thank you for all the work you do, all the things you put together and make oh so pretty for our social media pages. Your effort does not go unappreciated so much so that we just discussed every single Twilight movie uh, to show our appreciation. So thank you so much for the work that you do and continue to do for us. And thank you to you, the listening public, who tuned in for yet another year here on The Contrarians. And uh, hopefully we'll ride the wave into the next year. So that is going to do it for this episode, this year of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will continue to be right the following years. But in the meantime, take care. We'll see you next time.